Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 22, with Fraser Davidson. Episode 22 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today, Fraser Davidson is joining us on the show. Fraser is the creative director and co founder of Cub Studio, a London based animation and motion graphics studio that has worked with brands such as the NFL, ESPN, NCAA, GE, Twitter, Fox Sports, and more. Fraser also has an independent sports branding consultancy called Field Theory, where he is also there, worked with the likes of Nike, ESPN the Magazine, Adidas, USA Today, as well as our last guest, Ted Irvin, over at SB Nation. His work has probably had the biggest impact on sports branding in recent years as his distinct style is something that people tend to mimic over and over. And additionally, he is a teacher and conference speaker. Welcome to the show, Fraser. Glad to uh, get an opportunity to chat. Hey, man. Uh, Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Cool. So I gave a brief introduction to your career. However, I'd love to give our listeners a little bit more in depth from your start maybe after school in, in the creative industries and eventually leading up to the founding of Cub Studio. Sure. Okay. Um, well, I graduated uh, Nottingham Trent University, which is where the fictional character of Robin Hood came from, Nottingham, in 2004. And my sort of first proper job was with um, a company called Mainframe, who, I mean, this was sort of, you know, to bear in mind, this is pre-YouTube, um, you know, many years ago. And we produced title sequences, occasional TV ads, and a lot of the kind of brake bumpers and um, donuts for shows on MTV and VH1, those kinds of things. Um, from there, kind of, um, we sort of grew as a company started getting into doing more advertising work. I gradually kind of moved up the company and uh, after six years, uh, I was um, the uh, head of motion graphics. Uh, By the time Mainframe was a company of about 20, 25 people. And in 2010, decided to kind of go my own way and set up my own little uh, well, initially, I, I decided just to go out and be a freelancer, um, and I kind of started out, you know, doing bits and pieces of work in other people's studios. You know, there's a big kind of freelance scene around London, uh, working, for, you know, for various companies. Um, but decided that I didn't really enjoy, I didn't really enjoy working for you know other people in other people's offices for day rates, and um, decided to uh, you know kind of set up a little small studio on my own, which I did with um, two other people Simon and Dina and together we kind of formed a a small collective that ran until relatively recently called Sweet Crude uh, under which we we sort of we had the front of a company rather than a a band of uh, what you call bedroom bandits people sort of working on their uh, you know on their on their own machines at home producing sort of fairly you know low quality work generally we we sort of had the front of a company and um yeah so we sort of we 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 variously gone our own ways and um I set up a 
sort of second company recently uh, with um, an old school friend, Ben. And um, since we've been going, I think we've been going nine months now as Cub Studio. We've just moved into new offices, got a couple of employees and um, yeah, it's uh, it's been going really well. I've got some really great clients and um, yeah, been working on interesting projects. Very cool. So did, is uh, Sweet Crude, are you still, did you kind of shut that down or are you and moving everything into Cub Studio now? Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't um, manage either of the people that I worked with at Sweet Crude. We were all sort of individuals as, our, you know, our own companies. Okay. And it sort of became apparent that that wasn't really viable if we were going to grow. I mean, you know, who, who is it that employs somebody or... Um, you know, right. how do you take on an intern in those circumstances? So we decided to kind of, you know, go legit, so to speak, and um, uh, take on a, a more formal kind of business model. And, um, yeah, we've been working uh, working like that for, yeah, the last year or so. Very cool. So during your time at Mainframe, were you doing much side work as far as, like, developing skill sets and maybe taking on some freelance gigs? Um, not so much freelance stuff, but I, I kind of ran the sort of promotional side of quite an odd institution. We, uh, my friend, um, my friends from New Zealand ran uh, a company called the Alternative Rugby Commentary, which is a sort of slightly, slightly odd club event whereby during international rugby games, specifically New Zealand rugby matches, he would, um, well, the three of them would sort of descend on a place. One of them's a 400-pound Mari guy named Jed, and he is sort of, he's a radio personality and comedian, but he used to be a professional rugby player as well. So he would take, you know, set up a little booth, take the microphone, and we'd turn down the, you know, the, the sort of um, the live commentator's feed, and he'd just kind of talk over the top of it and do his own kind of comedic take on the goings-on. And I would produce animated content to kind of promote these events and with the guys that we did this uh we we i think we've done they've done a couple of world tours uh you know went to new york a couple a few years ago um they came over here ireland we they've been australia hong kong all over the place i think you can you can see quite a lot of that stuff still at arcrugby.co.nz yeah yeah i went and actually checked some of that stuff out so we talked a little bit before the show about Joe Bosack, and I think everyone that listens to the show, they know my respect and, and admiration for Joe, who also happened to be the episode two guest. I, I think Joe is probably someone that we both have in, in common to as it regards to mentorship and influence. So I was curious, how much of an effect has Joe had on your development in sports branding and, and your career? Yeah, I mean, he really was kind of a a way in um i mean i'd done i'd done quite a few well i'd done two or three projects for nike by that point but i mean realistically that was kind of as you know that was as far into the the industry as i got and really you know working with joe i've had the chance to work with you know a few of these uh you know division one colleges um interesting you know i guess interesting smaller colleges you know the likes of um bradley Murray State, uh, CSUN, and yeah, to sort of work on interesting, you know, interesting branding projects for those guys and more recently, larger projects for bigger institutions. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's, uh, 
you know, absolutely just, you know, the, the doorway into it. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. Can you discuss the effect of personal work on your career and, and how making a lot of personal work has sort of helped you with experimentation on new techniques or developing an overall visual style? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's everything. It's not really even so much the development of techniques and personal style, although that is part of it. It's very much more about doing the kind of work that you want to be you want to be producing so you know if you want to be working in the sports design industry you just produce work as if you were you know create content that you know for that industry and that's essentially you know how i got the call from various people to start doing it simply just by you know having work out there that you know looked like the kind of thing they might want to have and that's again that was kind of the same with the 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 rugby thing that I described earlier it's the way that the way that we're working with ESPN at the moment really came about by um them picking us up uh, on the back of the uh, guide to american football thing that we put out it's you know and th- those are all personal pieces and you know that's essentially what what kind of opened the door to these brands and agencies and companies that you get to work with it's only by I guess acting as if you you know you're in the industry that you kind of get get to be in it. Right. I think that's a consistent theme too because I mean amongst you know many people that end up doing successful things in the industry that they want to work in uh, Matt Stevens who was a former guest on the show he was doing a lot of corporate work and wanted to do more illustration type work and launched the Air Max 100 project, which was uh, a personal project. And that has sort of become like what people, what people hire him for now. So it's definitely interesting, an interesting approach. I'm curious. So you're, you're really active on dribble. I think anybody that follows you knows that. And I believe, I think you have probably around 900 shots or something like that. I was looking today. (laughs) How, How important has dribble been as a platform for your business and then marketing yourself for your career? Yeah, it's um it's been fairly huge. I mean, you know, you spoke to Ted last week. I don't think I would have been offered that job had my you know, had I not had the sort of amount of of work on there that they were kind of able to reference and use in the um pitch documents that they created prior to even contacting me. Yeah, it was um Mike Jones from Creative South who uh, drafted me onto Dribble and I kind of felt I feel stupid now, but like, you know, I felt like I was sort of humoring him at the time by going, okay, yeah, sure, I'll start doing this. And very quickly it became kind of um, an addictive, addictive thing. And so I'm, you know, I produce a lot of stuff and I'm not fussy about what is sort of public. So, uh, and I found that I got a good result out of lots of it. And, you know, they they quickly kind of introduced the, um, you know, platform to hire people through, and uh, yeah, I got quite a lot of work with um, the likes of uh, later ESPN, but but certainly um, SB Nation and um, uh, a number of other people that, that found my work through Dribble. And did, did you ever did you ever run into issues with? I, I know people may hear uh, Dribble fans may be familiar with Focus Lab as well, and how quickly they post things on Dribble. I'm curious if you ever ran into issues with clients having to clear things before you posted them or did you just wait until projects were finished i oh god if I, I mean yeah we i have run into that in the past but I, i'm guess i'm i'm kind of of the opinion that it's easier to beg forgiveness than ask permission <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah i'm I, i'm not 
there are probably things that we should wait to put up, but I'm just, you know, I'm kind of interested to sort of gauge opinion. And, um, you know, we've actually in the past, we've, we've, when we've been pitching things, we've posted elements of pitches or, you know, slightly rebranded, recolored versions of pitches where clients have been umming and eyeing over whether or not, you know, something's a good idea. You know, you get to go, hey, look, you know, 800 people think this is a good idea. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And that's been quite effective, actually. You know, I think, I think maybe Focus have sort of done the same thing in the past. You can kind of run, uh, you know, simultaneous testing on, on various ideas and, um, you know, gauge a response and certainly get, you know, fairly constructive feedback. It's, it's a bit of a love-in on Dribble. You know, people are far, far too kind, but, you know, it's yeah. better than the other way around. Don't know if you've right. read YouTube comments recently. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Geez. It, Dribble definitely doesn't have the trolling culture that other uh, other social sites have, for sure. Yeah. So, so how did you end up becoming such a big U.S. football fan, being from over in the U.K.? I, I, the very first game I ever saw, uh, they have it on Channel Four here, um, sort of an, a semi-independent television station unlike the BBC and they their sort of remit is to show different things you know things that aren't necessarily mainstream um so they used to show things like the you know the Celtic games American football um Indian sports and things like this and then the very first game I ever saw was the Buffalo Bills versus the Houston Oilers the I think it's sort of 35-3 going into the th- going into the third quarter the Bills come back to beat them 38 41-38 something like that and that was the very first game I saw live and it was just I was just sort of you know captivated by it and uh yeah sort of was able to get by on the small fix uh of you know an hour every sunday that that we had broadcast in the uk from then on i I played a little bit at university uh because (laughs) you know it's basically where all the broken down rugby players go like it there's not so much running about to do uh so (laughs) if you've got you know destroyed back and knees like me then you can kind of you know, jog about a bit and pretend, um, but it, it's <laughs> not it very full, serious. Is it full contact in university, or is it like flag football? Yeah, it, but I mean, it's it, the thing about it is it's it's only really it, it's only about the contact because we you know if you're not brought up from the age of five or six with a you know American football in your hand, if you play rugby or anything, all your instincts are wrong. So realistically, you know, you don't there are, there are no people from this country qualified to be quarterbacks there's nobody with the sort of the uh, reflexes and the, the you know the the fine motor uh, twitch that and, and and the ability to sort of go through a progression of any sort in order to make a play you know everything's extremely basic most teams have about eight plays you know that you cycle through and everybody wants to be a linebacker because that's the funnest thing you know like yeah, nobody knows how people. to block so you've got a good chance <laughs> of a sack every other every other play so um yeah, that was that was that was the fun in it. It's you know, I think it would be shameful. I'd be ashamed to have uh, actual bona fide uh, American people watch watch us roll around in the mud. <laughs> well, you you mentioned like the reflexes aspect of it. I have a a close friend who played college football at a smaller school, and then there was a point where I guess the soccer team had some injuries and things, so they asked a couple of athletes to come over and play soccer and. He mentioned that he was he was a linebacker and he mentioned one time a, a ball sort of lofting in the air 
and you know a guy jumping up for a header and he just instinctually just crushed this guy just tackled him <laughs> got, got thrown thrown out of the game but it's it's funny how that that sort of plays into uh into this stuff but i mean it's i mean it's the same going the other way i mean you look back what are you, it's only like the 70s when they when the uh, kickers and stuff would were like linemen who had another job and they would run at the ball straight on and sort of toe <laughs> yeah. punt it and so <laughs> yeah. the, the fact that like there's any sort of you know that you're able to go from that at all into soccer is quite interesting right right so as someone with uh, multiple talents as it regards to design and illustration branding and animation I'm curious, how have you been able to sort of stay at the top of your game with all these skill sets? It seems like a lot of people are, are, as we were just talking about football and kickers, are encouraging specialization nowadays. So I'm curious, do you ever feel like you're sort of spread too thin or have the fear of the whole jack-of-all-trades mentality? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly within animation, you probably have a shelf life. If, if you're like me, I'm not especially interested in the technicality of everything since I left mainframe where there are, you know, huge numbers of extremely, you know, artistically, but also technically talented people. I haven't learned a a great deal of software. I haven't taught myself a lot. I've kind of, you know, used old techniques with a slightly new visual. So from that point of view, there are going to be kids now who, you know, in five or six years will come out of university with and they and they already are you know like with greater skills than me in the technology there's a lot of nuance that you you know you're always able to you know rely on in terms of like you know how you direct a piece that's that's not something you can learn overnight that's something that requires you know years of you know thinking about actually making stuff but yeah in animation like technically there'll definitely be a, a I definitely have a a sort of uh a best before label on me in terms of the doing the other stuff as well. I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of a plan B, the sort of the logo design and all that, that kind of thing. I'm not really focusing on it at the moment. And I probably focused on it less than I have done in the last three years recently. But, um, I kind of want to keep that going in case I, you know, grow tired of animation or I just want to do something different. Um, I can imagine in 10 years, maybe thinking, well, you know, I'd, I'd I'd like to set up a branding company now and do just do something completely different for another ten years. Uh, so that's kind of why I why I keep it ticking along. But it's pretty incongruous with the other company I run. Yeah, yeah. So so has someone who myself is not privy to the animation industry i'm curious how a project like that works like so you know take for example your espn college football playoff animations i mean as far as like what what the client sees i can't imagine that you're building out these full things and then sending them to them and and if they say this we're, we don't want it you know like you've already kind of gone down this rabbit hole so to speak yeah it, well it does i mean it doesn't work like that the, the piece the college football piece i made for myself We've recently made a new piece for ESPN. I'm not. I can't. Probably can't really say what it's about, but it should come out soon. And it is getting awfully close to the Cricket World Cup. That's probably all I can say about the content of it. But the way that would work is we um, we would write a script, or the client would write a, a rough script. From there, we'd develop uh, a number of style frames. So, say you know, pick ten key scenes and go, hey, look, this is exactly what the final product will look like here. And in the script, we'd write 
all the kind of directional annotations. So, you know, for every line of the, the script, we will write exactly what's going to happen on screen. And we supplement it with these style frames. So the client should have, at the very beginning of the project, a good idea of what's going to happen, what exactly what it's going to look like, you know, how long it is. From there, we'd record a voiceover. Um, normally a rough voiceover, but occasionally you can. it's better to do the final voiceover first because then you time to it. Then you just kind of start to animate. What I tend to find at that point really is to, once the client's kind of signed off on the visuals, the idea, all the rest, like then they're not going to be able to feedback effectively on the animation really, you know, while I'm animating on it. When I worked at Mainframe, we'd, we'd often send kind of lots of work, work in progress as you're animating things, but it tends to frighten clients because it can look quite skeletal and patchy while you're doing that. I just find it's easier to go, okay, right, that's it. We're, we're off to animate it now and we'll see you in two weeks and get it back to them. And, and that's worked really well for us uh, for the last couple of years. That's, that's generally our, the way we work on almost all projects. So during the, st- the style frame phase, which you mentioned earlier, is that when you sort of show, like, say, you know, one of the, the dribble shots of like what the football players are going to look like in terms of their animation or illustration style? What we would show is um, this is what if you pause the film, this is what what we, what you would see on screen. It's okay. it's that kind of like one to one. You know, this is an exact representation of what what a shot is going to look like, um, and we're just going to make them move. Gotcha, gotcha. So, does having sort of these multiple aliases and companies you know such as field theory and then cub studio field theory is just you right and then field cub studio you have a couple of other people yeah do you ever do you ever run into maybe like personal branding issues maybe internally like in your own own head like who am i like you know or are you finding (laughs) that basically everyone just knows the name fraser davidson more so than the company names yeah i mean if the two things were, were, were more closely linked i just i wouldn't bother creating kind of distinct brands i think i think but because they're they're just not really compatible you know like you don't want to be sort of associated too strongly with one thing so that you're not considered for the other um which is why i kind of have set up the two the two companies or tried to you know at least say that these are very different things yeah, I, I I know what you mean, but I I think although a lot of people still do know me, know me as Fraser Davidson, those people tend to know me for one or the other, um, right? And that's kind of what I want. I don't really want too much of that in a professional setting when I'm you know dealing with sort of larger clients. On you know, if, if, I guess it, I guess I feel like it might make them think that I'm you know I'm doing <laughs> the thing that I'm doing for them is the thing I do on the side. Yeah, 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 I can totally see that. So you don't ever think you'll, just because Cub Studio is doing sports-related animation work, you're not going to loop field theories work in underneath that that hat, so to speak. It, 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 do, it doesn't really work very well. It's very, because the stuff that we do, although it's sport-related, it the sort of tone of it's very irreverent and, you know, we tend to be kind of, yeah, just not not take ourselves very seriously whereas the world of branding is extremely serious to you know big institutions and you can't kind of be too glib or you know flippant with with the way in which you sort of deal with those people i think 
Gotcha. So as you know, you came from a shop, you know, mainframe, and then you sort of made that transition into, you talked about doing a little freelance work and working inside agencies as like day rates and things like that. And, and we, I think a lot of us know that there are different challenges when it comes to working for agencies or in-house jobs, as opposed to starting a studio. I'm curious if you were always like you sort of had in your head that you were entrepreneurial and you wanted to do like this whole business side of, of creativity. Uh, no, I, I, in fact, I really thought I was the opposite when I left in 2010 from my company, I was quite frustrated for a long period there because of the sort of, they weren't really doing the kind of work I enjoyed. We sort of moved away from that and into more lucrative commercial work, which is more sort of reliant on VFX and things. And I found myself quite sort of frustrated and angry most of the time. I'm not a great people person. I'm not especially good at dealing with difficult people. And I found that I was dealing with lots of difficult people all the time. When I was sort of able to produce my own work, I suddenly found that a lot of the problems that I encountered prior to that were, um, yeah, just uh, I, I just didn't encounter the same problems. It was much easier when I was dealing with somebody one on one. There was no kind of passing of information, you know, through sort of other layers of production. Yeah, I, that that sort of went away. I found myself, you know, spending my days a lot generally a lot less angry and um, able to kind of, you know, communicate with people quite well. And so then I sort of realized, ah, right, well, yeah, this is this is something I could, uh, yeah, this is something I could kind of turn into a, more of a business model than just sort of going and working in-house for day rates. And um, I could, you know, I can deal with people on the phone. And um, yeah, and and so it was just kind of, it was, it was really sort of a, a process of discovering that I wasn't so terrible at it really. Yeah. And I, I mean, I wonder if you found where, you know, initially it's like client comes, they tell you what they want, you're working on it, as opposed to now this new method, people sort of knew who you were. They saw this style of work that you created and then you could sort of like guide the process as the expert. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I think people kind of came to me for something that, yeah, for my style, I guess. Whereas when I was working at a company, they were, they had more general needs that, and so you, you're less able to bend a project to your particular style or, or so, yeah, I guess that's it. That, that plays a part of it as well. Yeah. So I, I, as far as, uh, I know Nike is pretty secretive about like a lot of their work. So you may, if, if you, you know, disclose what you can here, obviously, but I know you did a lot of primary mark work for Nike during their massive college athletics rebranding initiatives, which happened a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm curious, mainly, did you happen to work with Darren Crescenzi while he was there? He was the episode eight guest. He worked in the graphic identity group. No, I only had one contact through Nike for all the all the work I did with them. And yeah, I mean, I, I was just kind of briefed and worked on my own. And uh, I, I wouldn't know what, what would be the sort of result of that until everybody else did. So. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so that was, you, you did that work before doing, you know, sort of being, I guess, discovered or, or doing any work for Joe Bosak. Did, how did, uh, how did that relationship come about? Um, Joe emailed me. You no, know, I mean, long the, time I mean ago. The, the, like the Nike work, like the, uh, oh, the Nike work. Yeah, sorry. Cause you did the Nike work first, right? Um, and then later on you met I, Joe. I guess, I guess the same way, uh, that work came about through them, uh, a guy just emailing me saying, oh, would you like to, you know, pitch a few, 
ideas or would you like to you know do it make a you know do a few days design work on a brief yeah you know it's you know really exciting to work with brands like that yeah did, I mean, did you that, have uh it's like some sort of uncomfortable maybe internal moments where now this is this major brand coming or did your experience at mainframe having worked with some of those brands already sort of kill some of that no i didn't feel any trepidation about any of the the project briefs at all like it was um you know it's nice to be asked and i guess if, when, at the point that you're asked you feel like well you know they want the things that i would think of so you know it's quite i don't sort of go away and think all right i better do this in a you know, felt like I didn't feel like I had to do the project in a different way or come at it from a different angle. I just thought, well, they, they like my style. So I'm just going to, I'm going to give them some of my style. Right. And then you just do what you know best. And then they loop some things in with it possibly and whatever, whatever the school chooses or which direction they, they go down. You, you don't actually know until it's public, right? They don't get back with you. Is that how that worked? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's it. Until it's released. That's, that's all I saw. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's sort of in that same light, college sports, obviously in the, in the U S is huge, uh, specifically college football. Personally, I'm even more of a college football fan than the NFL. And honestly, I can't even explain, explain why other than maybe my state doesn't have an NFL team, but <laughs> the same, the, the same with basketball in the NBA. So I'm curious being from the UK, uh, how was working on college sports identities for you? Like from a research perspective, how tough was it to get acclimated with the passion of of that level of sport here in the U.S.? Well, gen- generally, the, the, inst- the college institutions tend to have an idea of exactly what it is they want. So in terms of kind of researching things, it, it it's not necessarily too heavy. There have been a couple of projects that I've worked on where I've kind of gone away and and, and looked into things more more deeply but on the whole people have said you know we we are the matadors so uh we're going to need a matador logo and okay um in the case of uh, the work that um i did with joe on uh csun there's a statue of a matador that was kind of i think going begging uh, at the institution um and you know it seemed obvious to kind of use that as the basis for a, a logo so that's sort of really the extent of the um you know joe joe's company does a huge amount of research um but in terms of my input there's uh there's there's very little i've kind of just uh i'm the uh the pointy end of the wedge at the at the bottom of the uh the bottom of the inverse pyramid i think yeah where, so- where- where pen meets paper. <laughs> so Joe's sort of creative directing the whole process and then kind of coming to you with your specific skill set in terms of like the illustration side and things like that. So as far as like a strategic perspective, you're not having to go deep on those types of yeah, things. Yeah. All, all the thinking is done by the time anybody calls me. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious though too, like, so did, were there ever any, you know, projects that sort of came about, whether through Nike or whatever, where maybe they weren't like this world renowned, you know, I would imagine over overseas, um, that people have heard about like the, the big brands, like the Texas Longhorns, mm-hmm. you know, like Alabama Crimson Tide and those Oregon, obviously. So I'm curious, like some of these ones that are still very, very, very big that you may have worked on. Like if you really sort of grasped, uh, were able to sort of grasp the scale of, of some of these sort of smaller, not, not necessarily smaller in terms of revenue and things like that, but like, say like a, you know, like a Georgia or something like that, where it's still a major, major school, but maybe on a global scale, it's not as, as big. 
I mean, they're, they're, they're always, they, they, they were institutions that I was aware of and I, I kind of had a, a not, a, you know, a slight knowledge of, I, not, not in a sort of the way that, you know, any average American who kind of encounters the name daily would, but yeah, nobody I know knows where the University of Connecticut is. They have no idea, uh, you know, who the Georgia Bulldogs are. It's, it's not something you'd encounter over here. So my kind of working knowledge of them extends really as far as like occasionally seeing them play and their logos. Anything beyond that really was uh, incidental knowledge. So, you know, I might know a little bit about Stanford or University of California or Texas Longhorns, like you say, but it, it was incidental knowledge and not, you know, not something that we ever sort of encounter in the media over here. Right. So have, did you ever get an opportunity to come over and maybe experience an atmosphere of one of those games? Uh, do you know what? I haven't. No. no. Wow. So what, no, what about NFL? <laughs> have you been to any NFL games? I've been to the NFL. I've been to a couple of NFL games in London, but um, okay. it's, uh, it's very difficult to get tickets to uh, NFL games, especially if you kind of live over here. So um, right. I wanted to get, I tried to get some for the, uh, it was the, Giants, I think last time I was in New York, but um, yeah, it's just it's just impossible. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to uh, <laughs> we'll have to try to figure out a way to get you over here for a, a conference or something during the fall, so you can maybe go to one of these <laughs> these big college football games, like maybe in the SEC or something, and really kind of see like the the tailgating culture and and everything that sort of surrounds it, because it's like an economy, a whole economy in some of these towns, you know. Yeah, it's amazing, and it's something that doesn't exist in the UK. There is there is no college sports market. There is professional football and 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 the like, and that's it. So yeah, it's uh, it's of great interest to uh, to me, and I, yeah, I'd love to kind of see something like that. Yeah, and and some you know from a cultural perspective, you know, you have fans that are very very passionate about like some of these schools, and they never even attended the college. You know, like you'll have like these mid major schools, for example, where I went to school down, which is about twenty minutes south of Lexington, Kentucky, and Lexington is the home of the Kentucky Wildcats. Everyone at that school and all most of the surrounding schools are fans of like UK. So it's kind of yeah. like this interesting thing where you have these levels and these tiers. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about education. So you, you have two classes that on Skillshare, one for animation and then another one for sports branding, which I actually took. Um, and not to mention the numerous YouTube videos that you have that sort of show how you create your style of work. I'm curious what, what made you decide to kind of take that step and move into teaching some of the things that you learned? Uh, they offered me money for it, I suppose. But I mean, it's... I don't well, know. YouTube I mean, was just you, right? Like you came out yeah, on YouTube. The, and it, yeah, the YouTube stuff was just me. So in terms of the animation pieces, the reason I kind of felt that I could um, produce those was because I was teaching very specific techniques for things. Like logo design is not a technique. It's not a kind of a clerical knack that you pick up. You know, it's something that you develop over a long period. So I don't feel the sports logo class I created, um, I didn't feel like, that was sort of in the same vein as the other two. But I felt the only way, Skillshare, that was how, why they initially contacted me. And I said, look, I, ca I can't teach logo design in one, in a class. I can't, I can't explain how that works. I can do these sort of various animated knickknacks that I show people to do walk cycles and um, lip syncing. But the, um, the logo piece, I kind of thought the only way, the only thing that's going to be useful here really is to kind of, 
impart a very basic process. So like, you know, here's how you can take a a few pieces of reference or even a single piece of reference and develop a logo out of it. But at the same time, here are, you know, five or six key things to bear in mind while you're doing that. Here are like, if there are techniques in logo design, if there are kind of heuristics, here are five of them, you know, and there were things like, you know, uniform stroke width and negative, treating the negative space in the same way that you treat the positive space of logos. So trying to kind of say, well, look, here's how you can go from photograph to logo but if but you'll very quickly find that that's you know quite a simple thing to do but here are kind of these broader area these broader ideas broader visual ideas that you can use to um to incorporate into you know not just sports logos but any any kind of logos right and 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 it almost ended up being like of of just from my experience from taking the class and and part of the reason why I took the class was to kind of do a deeper dive on illustration skill sets. Like it was a very illust, you know, it was almost an illustration class too. You know, mm-hmm. like how to sort of illustrate. And I think there's some things too where, from an application standpoint, like it's a whole nother world. You know, like how do these things look on a field, or how do the, you know how does it look on helmets and and yeah. those types of things. So that's definitely a, an interesting part. So you know, it's a it's a super competitive digital world nowadays, you know, pretty much anybody can just about do anything with an internet connection and a, and a computer. And people are continuously trying to hone their skills to come up with a style that sort of, I guess maybe others can associate with them. So, you know, people can think, oh, that's when you want that particular style of illustration, you go to that person. Did, did Did you ever get concerned that teaching your style of sports branding or illustration will sort of maybe cause a lack of work for you since there's like this copycat culture out there? I mean, I think, well, uh, at the, at the worst end of the copycat culture, the people that actually just steal work. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's always, there's always going to be that. And I've noticed that's pretty common with your, <laughs> with your stuff too. Yeah. yeah. And um, just, I can't just direct ripoffs. Just literally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the exact same thing. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, but at the, you know, at the higher end, like the, the the sort of the kids that are talented and good enough don't don't they don't need me to do a course to be honest really like they're if you're good enough you'll eventually through doing your own work and kind of understanding your own process you'll be able to look at other people's work and understand you know for, with, just from looking at it how it's how it kind of functions the mechanics of it that was the way I kind of learned I you know I was very much inspired by the likes of Joe and um people like von glitschka you know right. you look at that guy's work i mean it's it's so kind of like perfectly crafted everything's kind of very beautifully smooth his i mean he's the this guy he's the king of uh negative space yeah like, nothing's and, and ever too pinched. like symmetrical illustrations yeah. yeah smooth curves lovely interesting shapes and you know everything's spaced perfectly and it takes a you know it takes a career to do that and it takes probably just a couple of years of doing your own stuff to even understand how, you know, like to look at his stuff and go, wow, this is so much better than mine. Like what it, but, but understand what it is about it that's, that's making it feel that much better than yours. And so I'm, I mean, I, you know, the kids that are going to be good and going to be better than me anyway, they're going to be better than me anyway. They don't need the, they don't need me to do the course. It might just make me, you know, if, you know, if I were uh, particularly bigging myself up, I might, I might say that it, you know, put them a 
two or three weeks ahead of where they might be otherwise, but they're they're going to be good anyway. I'm not, you know, I don't feel like I'm kind of uh, losing anything of my own by just sort of showing people how I work. I mean, no, like I say, you you just you to a certain extent you just can't teach logo design. It's it, so much of it goes on in your head and it doesn't have a sort of verbal nature to it. When you're drawing, you don't you're not explaining to yourself how you're doing it you just know what feels right and what feels wrong and all of that stuff just you know is going to take experience and innumerate iterations of process to kind of get get your style right you know I'm just sort of giving people an idea of how very roughly I consider things right and, and you know I think too as far as you know working with people I mean in the end you know people are working with other people and so it's you know from a personality perspective and and things like that I think a lot of us is kind of run of our own, our own businesses don't really like for example you know it would be really hard for someone to come in and just steal a client based on talent from someone that's been working with a client based on relationship and talent for many years right so that's exactly. like a whole new dynamic and aspect that sort of makes it makes us know that, you know, I don't believe that business is like this zero sum game where for someone else to win, like you have to lose, right? Like there's plenty of work out there in the world. And we're just like on a very minute portion of like the world being connected to the internet. Well, absolutely. I mean, like I say, when I started work, there was no YouTube. <laughs> um, yeah. that, that's been a huge Get, you know, the, the, I don't know how how many times the uh, how many fold the industry's expanded since then, but I would imagine probably ten. Um, you know, it used to just be that you did you produced that stuff for TV and that was it. And yeah. now there's you know any number of mobile you know web social platforms on which you can you know produce work for. And a lot of those a lot of those places, in fact, almost all of those places of those media pay more than TV does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think we're probably close to the same age. If I had to guess, I know you said you graduated from university in 2004. I'm 31, about to be 32, but, um, you know, it's kind of the same. I remember it's the same way, right? Like even thinking on a global level, I used to literally just think like, well, I need to figure out how to get this work and like sort of make a career almost locally. Right. Because it was almost like becoming, you either had, you had to move to like New York or LA or wherever, one of these huge major markets to become, you know, quote unquote, uh, industry famous or whatever. Right. And now it's like this whole new world where you can go on dribble. And if you produce good work and, and I would even go a step further to say like, you have to produce good work, but you have to be consistent about it and keep posting it and keep posting it to really kind of get discovered. Did you find that to be like a, a theme for you in terms of how you grew, like maybe like a, an audience on dribble was the consistency of how often you posted things. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's hugely important, like just kind of consistency of being in people's minds. Like if your name's always there, like you just sort of, there's a, there's a slow association of, of you with doing work. Um, uh, you know, and you being sort of somebody that, you know, can produce this kind of stuff can, you know, is, is, is somebody in the industry. Definitely. I mean, I, I just, I think, but, you know, just, you know, trying to be prolific, trying to get your stuff out there, trying to just put it in front of as many eyes as possible. And it's the internet. You don't, you'll never know who's going to see, see your stuff. You talked in your, I listened to your halftime thing the other day, um, you know, and, and your, this idea of when, you know, when people make it and, the, the truth of that is that maybe there is a moment where, you know, you get that, that great 
that amazing project, but you don't know who it took to see your work in, you know, to enable you to get that work, to enable you to have a shot at, you know, pitching on it or, you know, just getting the call to do it. And like I said earlier, you know, I, I sort of feel the same way about um, the SB Nation job. Like that was, a, you know, it was a it was a huge job and um, not something I kind of done in the past. But there's no way I would have got that had I not had a sort of, a, you know, a fairly decent portfolio of work on Dribble. You know, I'm a huge believer in just being as prolific as possible, producing as much varied, you know, interesting stuff, not being precious about keeping it to yourself, just getting it in front of other people's eyes. You never know who's going to see it. And yeah, you know, potentially, you know, give you, you know, a great shot at a great job. Yeah, it's sort of, and it sort of just takes like this, that one break. I know I listened to a, a podcast interview of the CEO of Vox Media, which sort of tying this back into Ted and SB Nation. And he mentioned in that particular episode that, you know, designers and developers are typically working on these things and putting this work out into the world. And then what happens is if someone discovers it, someone likes it, and then they come and invite them to work on something bigger. And it seems to be the common internet theme now, you know? Yeah. Um, I've had this conversation with Joe in the past. Um, and, and he was saying that, you know, it's the inter- the internet sort of blown industries so wide open that the agency models quite looking quite dated now you can just go you can find illustrators straight away you know just you have you know aside from you know the google search function you can go on dribble type in anything now almost and immediately you know whatever kind of you know whatever you're sort of looking to do uh, you know if you're a ux guy and you want to do something you know quite specific you can type you can you know you can search for that and you'll find somebody who's who's amazing at it um you know icon design you know animation illustration all that kind of stuff you don't need to be represented by companies you don't need to you know have a have an agency behind you you don't need to be you know a featured art director somewhere you can just be you can be a guy in your bedroom if you're good enough right and it's like the barrier to entry or not the barrier to entry but like uh, the gatekeepers you know like the gatekeepers are gone like we don't have to have people's permission to put stuff out into the world like if you want to be a sports branding designer start making sports branding work and put it on dribble you know (laughs) which i think is probably a a little bit of your story right like you started having sort of like this passion for it and started making these projects on your own and somebody discovered it it's well it's entirely my story it's like it's animation as well like that's the way we've got all work is by Everything we've done for ESPN has come off the back of the uh, Guide to Football. Everything that I've done, you know, in the sports branding space has come from some of the, you know, the early messing around with lion heads and sharks and whatnot that did well on Dribble. And and, and I guess other places before that, you know, places like the Chris Creamer site, there's a lot of kind of young kids who you know, who start posting work on there and very, you know, very quickly, it's very clear they're obsessed with the industry. And, you know, if you, if you put enough time in and, you know, like I say, like you do enough of these iterations of process and, you know, creation, then you're going to be, you know, you're going to start get getting real good at what you're doing. Nobody gets worse at things the more they do it. Right. So sort of wrapping up here, I know it's, it's easy to, for many of us, and some of this was talked about, you mentioned on, on halftime, but it's easy for us to sort of take heroes, put them on a pedestal. And, and actually in, in episode 11, I spoke with team sports creative director at Under Armour, Adam Clement, and he, he actually touched on a mistake that he made working with South Carolina's football uniforms, which I thought was a beautiful moment because 
I think mistakes um, humanize us and, and a lot of people respect you and look up to your work and, and idolize your work and rightfully so, super talented guy. Uh, but I was just curious, can you give listeners an example of something that may have gone wrong in your, in your path or, or something that can sort of humanize Fraser Davidson that might g- inspire some of the younger listeners or people that are just starting out? God, like there's too many things to mention, really. I mean, well, constant spelling errors. I, I had one pointed out to me the other day in um, one of the things. I spelled Cincinnati wrong in something, and that's been up for a year. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I guess I guess now in with digital, well, with digital, you tend to get to correct those things, but. Um, yeah, I've, uh, I guess one of the, the one of the worst things I did, I was hand, I handed over files. I can't, I can't tell you the client is or anything, but I was handing over animation files to um, something, and um, it was a project I hadn't had a, a lot of um, fun making, and so I'd kind of renamed the comps. I'd named the comps in it, you know, stupid comp one, you know, X, Y, and Z, like. To sort of referring to various amends in some of the uh, notes that I'd left myself inside the comp, uh, you know, using um, unflattering terms for the person that had given me them. Um, and I forgot to take all that stuff oh, out before I handed it over. Um, I have from them recently, actually. That's pretty brutal. Yeah. I've, I've done similar things like that, like named a Photoshop layer, like something, you know, like calling someone a name or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I did once, the, actually, I did once while I worked at Mainframe. Um, I think I, I think I called the client the C word, thinking that he'd <laughs> left and he'd just been in the toilet and he heard me. Oh, man. So, yeah, that was probably, that probably should have been a sackable offense, but I was right. <laughs> that's crazy that's <laughs> nuts man well i appreciate you sharing those those stories do you have any last uh maybe last bit of advice that you would give to anybody who's maybe a freelancer or an, even an in-house person that's sort of grinding away hoping to maybe get discovered or sort of push to do the work that they want to do well i mean like, like you say j- just push to do the work you want to do like nobody nobody will discover you if your stuff isn't out there that really is like you know the theme of this i think like it's um just start doing what you want to be doing and you know if you do it do it enough you'll become associated with it and eventually you get get to do it people will pay you to do it that that's really it that's that's my own that's my only trick that's my only uh that's the only process i have for for getting to do the kind of work i want to do well and i think that's well said because i think what from from a helping people out perspective and I know you like to teach is you know we can tell people that there's really no magic you know trick here just just do the work right (laughs) and keep keep grinding away and and write to people um you know you know communicate with people like for the most part folk are really really nice you know don't have a reason to not give you advice on your logo or you know just give you some some brief feedback it probably won't be in depth but like you know people will talk to you they'll you know they'll answer your questions like oh, for the for the whole you know most you know, most people in the creative industries are very very nice and it, it's always worth you know just reaching out right yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think too, keep in mind, like if you do tend to reach out to somebody that maybe, you know, like yourself, you've got a lot of people that follow your work 
and and sort of keep in perspective for people on you know Fraser's level that it, he's not going to be able to get back with you right away, <laughs> like you know because everybody's writing him asking him the same thing, and if he answered every single email in detail, then he would no longer be doing the thing <laughs> that uh, that people want to write to him to talk to him about. So yeah, I was just thinking I, I made myself a slight hostage to fortune there by uh, <laughs> I have to fucking answer all these emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saved yeah. you a little bit there, but. <laughs> <laughs> so where lastly where can uh where can the listeners support you or reach out to you online the, uh well you can follow me on dribble uh i think fraser davidson and you can follow me on twitter uh frazdav f-r-a-z or z-d-a-v uh yeah you can email me should it should you like at, uh fraser at fraser davidson.co.uk my website's uh, cubstudio.com and fieldtheory.co.uk. Very cool. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to talk to us here. And uh, I'm actually heading to Creative South this year. So if you happen to be heading there as well, perhaps we'll get a chance ah, cool. to maybe meet in person. Yeah, I'm, so. Well, I'm, I'm looking into it tomorrow. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. All right. Very cool. Well, thanks, awesome. man. No problem. Anytime. So my next guest is uh, going to be Chin Wang. Chin is the creative director of ESPN the magazine. Before ESPN, Chin was a golden domer at Notre Dame. And then after graduation, she worked at the Boston Globe and Boston Magazine before finally landing at ESPN. She's won many awards from publications such as the Society of Publication Designers. and, And her work has appeared in Communication Arts, and the print regional design annual. You can check out some of her great layout and art direction work at her personal website, chinwangdesign.com, or you can follow her on Twitter at chinwangespn. And then the obvious, uh, obviously look at ESPN the magazine. Big thanks again to Fraser Davidson for giving us some of his time. You can, again, as he mentioned, follow him on Twitter, Frazdav, F-R-A-Z-D-A-V. And then also be sure to check out some of his work on Dribble, where he stays pretty active. Uh, as we mentioned, dribble.com slash Fraser Davidson. A couple of quick news items. Halftime is live. On the previous episode, as we talked about earlier, I talked about imposter syndrome, overcoming the feeling of being a fraud and then using it as a motivation to get better at your craft. It's, that one's actually quite fitting, probably, considering that we just spoke with one of the most talented guys in the industry in Frazier and, and how his talent probably makes a lot of us want to quit and go work construction. <laughs> but uh, just over, it's just over 10 minutes, so check it out. It's not very long, and let me know what you think. Next week's halftime episode, I'm going to actually talk about personal marketing, which is also fitting, having just talked to Frazier, where just because you're good at what you do, it doesn't actually mean that people will know you exist, will hire you, or will discover you. Lastly, our second Google Hangout was Friday night. It went great. We had a full roster of amazing discussion. And actually, as of this recording, it hasn't happened yet. So I'm sure it'll be all of those things when it happens. But uh, be on the lookout for announcements on Twitter or for the next one. And again, if you're interested, it's a first-come, first-served basis as of now. I'm trying to figure out better solutions for that. But Google only allows 10 people max in these Hangouts, and it tends to fill up pretty quickly. So if you want to get in on those, just kind of be on the lookout through Twitter and, uh, and then on this show. Lastly, be sure to follow myself on Twitter, both Twitter and Dribble. I am at T. Adam Martin. 
And if you haven't done so, please take two minutes and write a review of the show on iTunes. I know that Fraser just dropped you guys many pieces of knowledge. Please reward him for his kindness by rating this particular episode on iTunes. By doing that, you help get the show discovered, and it helps build a community of creators in this industry that want to do quality professional work. And, and that's something that we can all really work hard to raise the bar on. Uh, also, accept ratings or likes on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever application you happen to be listening to. I'll see you guys around on Twitter. Until next time, have a good week.